0: This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Hey everyone, I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there.
1: All right. Okay. Welcome to the Thereafter podcast, a place where we explore life on the other side of faith change.
2: We're here to break down the binaries, deconstruct the dualities, and wander through what it looks like to live in the gray.
1: In church, we were told that life after leaving would be a bitter wasteland of unfulfilling hedonism, but we've discovered quite the opposite.
2: There's actually a vibrant community of people on the other side of faith who are finding and co-creating space for hope and healing.
1: Come along as we explore the all too often uncharted expanse of evangelicalism, evolving faith, and the life thereafter. episode (laughs) of the thereafter podcast
2: we're so excited to be here and we're riding high on an incredible time together in real life last weekend
1: yeah I, i think i said i had a euphoria hangover for the past three days is that is that a thing
2: yeah yeah that's a good word for it to be honest i mean it's a little like it brings up uh the hbo show about kids doing drugs and having sex and whatnot, because that's what euphoria triggers Well, I haven't watched the show, so it doesn't
1: bring that up for me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but also, yes, it was euphoric. It was a great experience. I felt like it was a natural high the entire extended weekend.
1: I also, for anyone who didn't know about the event, um, you can look at it, contentwarningevent.com. We're going to get the downloaded copies up for sale on the website. Um, Somebody just reached out and asked how they could watch it, and it sounds like um, the Eventbrite locked them out. So we're going to get that out. We also have a lot of T-shirts for sale. And I I do want to give that a heads up because somebody else we were hanging out with last weekend said they were listening to an episode where we were debriefing. The Joshua Tree thing with Janice, and she was like, "I was listening to some episode where you were talking about something in the desert, and I didn't know, so I, so I want to give the, you know, context so you know what we're talking about." But we're gonna be talking about content warning, all things content warning in this episode, and I, I can't wait because. Corlin and I had like we haven't had a chance to debrief. Like we haven't sat down and and had these conversations. So this is you're getting the raw footage here.
2: <laughs> Not really. Yeah. It, we we after the event, we we both just like kind of collapsed and uh and then I got an Uber at like two in the morning to be at the airport at like three in the morning for a flight at five in the morning. <laughs> and then by the time yes. I got back to Denver, I slept all day. And uh yeah, it it the inaugural content warning event, so this is – we just had our first one, but there's another one coming, and uh, we're excited that it went so incredibly well, and it was – like, I knew it was going to be good, but it was even better than I could have ever imagined.
1: I agree, and it's interesting. So I had my apartment full of people from Thursday night on. If I actually found a note card, and it had – five different airport times listed cuz I was shuttling all day Thursday. I know Ben, our friend Ben was helping shuttle people on Friday and even Thursday night. Um but having my apartment full of people was was a special thing. I know some collaborators stayed in Airbnb and different people are were from Portland, but we had so many conversations just in my van and in my apartment. About the event, about other things, about um, just all kinds of things that I was like, this is why we're doing this event because these are the people I have these conversations with, and I just want to have them publicly. I just want all of us to have this conversation. It would just, whether it's about music or homelessness or women's rights, like this just naturally we're having these conversations, and we just wanted to bring them into a a. Into the light, right? I guess is, I don't know a different way to say that. Um, <laughs> but is, does that sound religious, right?
2: <laughs> bring it into the light. Out of the darkness and into the light. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, bring them into real life, I guess. Bring them into uh, the open. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I get what you're yeah. saying. But I'll just, I mean, it was funny because then gradually it unwound, right? So like with then we had our event and then everyone just started, you left and- and other people were just kind of gradually going to the airport, trickling away. And then it was left with just me. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, I don't even, uh, wow, this was incredible. Like, where do we even begin to to talk about it, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like in, like, foresight towards the next year, which I know we're here to talk about content warning 2024. Is that the year it is? 2023? What is it? Twenty four. Twenty
1: four. We're good. We just
2: got here. We just got to twenty twenty four. I'm not used to it yet, um, but with some foresight, I think it will be. We'll need to like get out there early without having you there as a, like our home base because you were there like a couple days, you know, ahead of time and like, ooh, yeah. we're here and we're going and things are happening. So being in another city next time. Um, we'll, we'll have to plan it. will be a different, it'll be a slightly different experience, but I'm excited about that. Um, but it was lovely to be in your hood, in your space. Uh, and I love Portland and, you know, we were hanging out there at the meetup a couple years ago and this felt very similar and very new and different in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I think, and we can start there because I think one thing we learned is that we It was nice to have, even though the official event was on Saturday and Sunday, it was nice. We pulled all the collaborators together on Friday evening. We had, I don't know, people may not know this, but we had a space from 6 to 10 p.m. And we told everyone to show up at 8 p.m. And the collaborators had what I call a rehearsal dinner where we just kind of went through the plan and just... and, And I think my big intent for that was also because... If people checked out the event, if people were part of it, it wasn't like we had a keynote speaker. I got that. A lot of people said, I'm so glad you didn't have a keynote speaker. That was it was an interesting piece of feedback. But it wasn't like we were highlighting one person or even that our collaborators were preparing a speech or a thing. Um, I had asked them to prepare some, like, maybe topics that within their panel that they would maybe want to touch on, but nothing really fancy. And that was kind of the, the tone I wanted to set because it wasn't this formal thing. The reason I had wanted and the reason we all kind of talked about who would be at the table was because of the brain power in that space and knowing that as long as the panels had the right brains on them, then they would be executed the way that um, the, the way that we really wanted. And that, I mean, I think that worked out really well.
2: The panels were incredible. Like the way in which I felt like there was so many different perspectives and you had, people, I mean, I hate to say disagreeing, but coming at things from very different areas, right? To have, you know, Chrissy Stroop, who's, you know, this secularist, this, you know, non-religious, openly uh, non-religious person, and somebody like Damon Garcia, who's, like, just wrote The God Who Riots and is talking about this, like, liberation theology, this, like, kind of, like, radical, liberative... God and and theology on the stage at the same time and being able to talk about topics from both sides of those perspectives, it was really cool to see, you know, things, people being able to talk about different aspects of things without talking at each other or against each other. And I don't think that that's something that happens a lot. Like I haven't seen that sort of thing happen a lot.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think too. I think there was some a good amount of time because we had participants that also asked questions and were interactive, and I think that even having a space to hang out on Friday night was was really nice because really trying to decentralize or kind of remove a hierarchy. Because I, at the end of the day, my expertise and my background is in education; it's not in faith deconstruction right but I have a lot of thoughts about it based on my lived experience and everyone else at the table has a lot of thoughts and some people have theology degrees and some people have um, just experience and so I think it's just having and, and and then having the participants too with experience and questions and, and pieces so I think it all added together because it was it, that was the intention was to not just have people on a stage giving you facts and information but to have an environment where we would just have rich conversation, whether it was in the form of a more structured format, like a panel or whether it was Friday night hanging out after, you know, we had met and and just having a space to just talk and relax.
2: Yeah. Or if it was Saturday night at the lesbian bar dancing, dancing to nineties tunes
1: <laughs> or karaoke on Saturday
2: or at karaoke, which was literally like one of the greatest karaoke experiences. Like,
1: Especially my song, right?
2: Your song was the one that was front of mind when I was just (laughs) thinking about this. Uh, Can
1: I just tell people what happened if they weren't there? Because here's the thing. It was so embarrassing that the thing that I can take away from it was that I have a really great story to tell about it. So, you know, it's.
2: Absolutely. Which is which is the goal So
1: I'm terrible at karaoke, but I've always desired to get up and just belt out songs. But I feel like as people were going up there, they were really good. Like people were blowing me away with their talent, right?
2: Yeah, it was some people were pretty incredible.
1: So, yeah, the one thing that I had going for me is I picked a song called I'm All Right by Jodi Messina, which I know all the lyrics to. And I can rock that karaoke in my car all day long. And so I don't know what happened, but I was I got up and started to give the disclaimer about how I know you think I might wow you with my special singing talent and my special karaoke skills, but actually I'm going to just set the bar very low so that you know that I am not going to be good at karaoke. And while I'm giving the disclaimer, the first verse of the song is just running <laughs> and I had no idea Everyone, like, I think the way Justin Gentry put it is, everyone was in on the joke except me.
2: (laughs) The words are just scrolling by behind you as you're speaking, and everyone's like, she's missing it. It's it's just going by.
1: It was great. Oh, but I think we had, I mean... Saturday was a full day of content. We had five panels. We had three in the morning. We had a break for lunch. We had two in the afternoon. We had a break, and then we had karaoke. It was a full day, and I think the karaoke and then those that went out to the Lesbian Bar, it was a nice release at the end because it was like, okay, we've had some heavy conversation. Now we're going to have fun and hang out and relax for a little bit, right?
2: Yeah. The, The joy that I felt from everyone was, was like super real and super unique um, for a lot of folks that don't know each, you know, it, it wasn't like, there was a lot of people there that I knew, but the bulk of the people that I spent a lot of time with were new people that I met there and felt this instant camaraderie and this instant connection and ease of relationship with and that is just a really kind of unexplainable phenomenon to have people who who within a day feel like yeah you're my people like we get each other in a really unique way I also think that there was this aspect of, so many of the people in attendance had come from areas of feeling like, you know, maybe they had run whether there was ministry or they had run church things before or whatever. And being able, I think Jess said it, Jess was one of the people that I met this weekend who uh, I just, they were incredible. And they were like, I've been in a lot of spaces that How did they put it? They were like, I've been in a lot of spaces that were working hard to be open or accepting, and yet this is really one of the first times I feel like it's a space for me, made for me, made for me to be In attendance, I don't know. I wish I could say it the way they said it, <laughs> but it was really. I was like, "Yes, that's what we wanted to do." As soon as they they had said that,
1: and that's the, um, Jess Grace Garcia is the host uh, co host of Lavender Mafia podcast, and um, just want to give a shout out because they were there and um, I got to know them, which was great. Um, but I yes, think it was I like, agree. It
2: was like they were saying, "I've been in spaces that I was welcome in." But not particularly specifically designed for me. It's like, yeah, you're welcome here in this space. You know, we, we, you know, we allow for you to be here. But they were like, this feels like a space that was made with me in mind. Mm -hmm. And that just fucking hit me in a way that was super meaningful. And, uh, I was DMing with them today and they sent me a selfie and they're like, I'm wearing the shirt. Uh, and I was like, Oh my God. Yes. So many memories. I I've been DMing with so many people, uh, from the weekend as I've been processing everything.
1: Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I, I had a quick couple minutes that I said something at the beginning before we started. And I told a story about a time that I had cried out of disillusionment from the space, a space that I thought was supposed to be kind of affirming and and celebratory that I felt like wasn't that. And at the end, like Saturday night, I there was, I, I don't know if people knew, there was an upstairs room where the collaborators could go and, and have a minute. And I was up there and it was just me and Benji and I think Justin Tentry and a couple of people. And I was like, look at look at this. Like, look at what happened. Look at what's happening. People are connecting. This is what I wanted. I wanted an affirming space. And I could not have done it. By myself, I don't have the wisdom and the knowledge and the experience that everyone brought to the table. I don't have what the panelists have. I just wanted, like I've said before, to be that barista to turn on the lights and open the doors and have people come in. And I bawled, like I just burst into tears because I, but out of joy, like it was so different, such a different feeling of, okay, this is coming together and we're able to create spaces because so many of us for so long have longed for the type of community that we had in church spaces. And we're, we've been kind of wandering around looking for that and not having a place that pulls us together in this way that centers and celebrates folks that historically haven't been centered and celebrated, you know?
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's so much more than just the community piece, but that's a huge part of it. And it's so much more than just like the content piece, but like without that, it would be lacking. That's a huge part of it as well. And our online
1: community too.
2: The online, I I was so grateful for the fact that we had the amazing AV team that we did who were able to just guarantee that things were gonna work. There was a team of people that were making sure the cameras were running, making sure the screens were happening, making sure that the stream was happening. And so we could really just focus on hanging out and sharing the experience with those who were online. Uh, I was online chatting with live attendees for the first session. Um, Ross was there throughout the entire event and not having to think about um, a poorly thought out live experience Mm -hmm. was such a game changer for allowing us to really authentically engage with those who were intending, attending live.
1: Yeah. And, and I think there were some really great discussions happening there. There was some really great community. And then and, and just interactions and questions that came into it. I, I I do have to say, because you bring up the the venue and the tech team that was behind the digital folks that were behind the online piece, there was a moment, I can't remember, maybe at dinner, where I was like, I wonder what <laughs> they they think of this event. Because I don't know that they've seen other – and they said, like, they've hosted Planned Parenthood and they've – you know, we're in Portland. So you get these kind of unique niche events. But I was like, I just – I kind of wonder what they're thinking as we're having these discussions. And sure enough, I go back and there was – the team was – there were a couple guys and there was a woman that was on the, you know, kind of running lead on the show. And um, she pulled me aside and she was like, I never really understood what what event you were doing, but I just got to tell you – I used to be a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. She was like, this is incredible. And I think there's some people that they leave those spaces and don't realize there's this whole world of hashtag deconstruction or whatever it is. And so it's like, oh, there are people out here building community in other ways. That's cool. You know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. It is It is fun when you run into someone in the wild, so to speak, <laughs> yes. who who gets or connects with you about one of those things, uh, and you're like, oh yeah, you get to have this point of connection uh with someone in in a in a somewhat unique way. It's like, oh, I went to VBS or I watched Veggie Tales or, you know, whatever it is. It's it is I was saying to someone this weekend as we were walking around, even my son who Luckily, most of his formid- formidable years wasn't in church. Um, you know, he was in church in the nursery and stuff when I was in ministry, but that was, hell, eight, ten years ago almost now. And now he's 12, so he doesn't remember much of that. But he's still, like, he'll send me a YouTube short, you know, that's like a VeggieTales joke or something. And he's like, Dad, this is, like, some shit that, like, you talk about on your podcast, <laughs> you know? Like, he... Uh, he knows that there's there's this like connective nostalgic thing about it even though he he didn't experience it yeah Um, I like that
1: yeah my kids have picked up on some of that too that's funny whoo it's interesting Um, and then we had Sunday and we wrapped up and we announced that we're going to be in Atlanta in 2025 which we're so pumped about Um, And then some of us, a few of us were kind of trickling around and we went out for, for, we went to Mississippi Avenue and had tacos at Porqueno and, or um, whatever people had. But I loved that we were sitting around having a conversation As kind of a post, it was just a few collaborators and a couple other participants. And I said, okay, what's one thing that you would keep and one thing that you would add or change? And kind of the general let's keep this was the vibe, which is so funny because it's not something that you can really intentionally cultivate. Kind of, but also can we talk about that piece for a minute? Like just the vibe, because that's, as I've had conversations with people, they're like, I just loved the vibe. What is it? What was the vibe? What What is that vibe that people are feeling?
2: I, I really do think it has to do with what was centered. Um, I really do believe and feel like queerness was really centered at the event. I think women were really centered at the event, at the event. Um, I think transness was centered at the event. So I think that these things that very typically, again, even at welcoming spaces still tend to be on the margins It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, we're, you know, progressive and affirming. And so like we have queer people, we have trans people, you know, like, oh, we have women on staff or, you know, but like all of those things felt at the very center of the room and the center Mm -hmm. of the vibe. And I think that that is a really important part of the vibe being what it was Um, what do you think?
1: I would add, I would add race to that. I think we had a variety of perspectives. Um, and I would say what was missing from that was disability. And that was brought up at the, at the event. Somebody said, Hey, like I'm looking at all these sessions and we were very, we really wanted to make the event accessible. But I think going forward, we could do a much better job of elevating, voices of people with disabilities. And that's something that's feedback I take to heart because I was so happy that someone felt comfortable to give that feedback. And I I do think it's important and I think it's true that um, that was a voice that was missing in a perspective. While we did have, as Ashley pointed out on a panel, we did have folks with neurodivergence and invisible disabilities, but yet it still wasn't centered in the same way that some other intersectional identities were. Um, but I also think that I think that that piece comes from and and we've had this conversation before but it's not about like hey let's you and I Cortland and Megan plan an event and it would probably look good on a website if we had this this and this identity represented that's not I mean I think that's the piece that's different because I think the pr- the approach that we have and we've had this on the podcast with our guests the approach that we've had is if we don't have, diverse perspectives at the table, we're missing out. There's just perspectives. If if different people that bring unique intersectional perspectives don't come, we're just missing out. And I think we caught that in the panels because even every panel had multiple perspectives. You know, it's not like it's not like Janice can get up and she's speaking the one black women's experience perspective. It's like she's giving her perspective from her experience that if we don't have, we're missing out on. Ashley's giving her perspective. Everyone is bringing their own lived experience and perspective, um, and and so much richness to that, right? And I think we can't replicate that with, you know, just fill in the slots here. I think that we it was the right people that were collaborators.
2: Yeah, and I and I think that there, from my like, point of view, is an intentionality that I have. About breaking down hierarchies,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: and and I think whether other folks notice it or not, it definitely was an intentional place I was coming from in how I engaged with the weekend to try to make every person in attendance feel like they were an active participant in making the space that we were making together, whether yes. that be in engaging in Q and A's or in conversations around the tables or conversations at lunch or dinner or at karaoke. It, it really felt to me and I hope that it felt to others like we weren't there to create hierarchies of power or influence, but really to intentionally do the opposite, yeah. to, to break down some of those power dynamics and say, oh, everyone in this space has something to bring and something to add to creating this experience we're having together. And I think size of event is as an important piece of that, right? And even as the online like was a little bit bigger, it still felt like we had multiple people engaging. and I have to shout out Jared, who's just been like one of the most longtime, most engaged people in everything we've ever done virtually. Mm-hmm he was there in the chat and he was engaging. There was other people who have been really active bath in our community who, who was there and engaging and listening and tagging people in when there was, you know, needs, somebody, you know, couldn't uh, access to the stream or, you know, the chat window. Originally the chat window for our online experience was like, four inches by four inches on the screen (laughs) and it was like you could only ever see like one message or two messages at a time and there was a few people in uh in the discord saying i'm trying to hack the code the css of the page to try to make it bigger and expand it and somebody found a workaround and luckily like i said our av team who was just amazing for the weekend Found a way for us to have that open in a whole other window, so that it was way easier to see what was going on in the chat um, but it it felt like it didn't felt like feel like just like a big space where everyone was you know kind of nameless faceless along among the thousands or millions or whatever right and I think we really want to be intentional as we scale up and as this event might grow that we continue to really protect that feeling because I think it's an important yeah. part of the experience.
1: Well and I think a couple of things. Um I think one is during the karaoke, I looked up and saw a ton of participants on stage, and that mattered to me. Like it mattered that they were singing, and like my neighbors were there, my next door neighbors. I love them, Matt and Joe. Shout out if you're listening. Um, rocked an edition of Almost Paradise, and they had a couple songs. They sang, like I just loved that we were able to provide a space where we're all, we we're all, you know, participants in this big wild world that we live in right now right and and then we can all share space and then the other thing too is i i want to be transparent because i don't we're going to be selling the videos afterwards and we're going to be selling more t-shirts and stuff and i don't want people to think that we're in this to make money because we didn't, we, we actually lost money on the event and I'm okay still with that. We're quite um,
2: a ways away from making money.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did, we did not break even and I'm okay with that. I had, I had a, some money set aside. I was a sponsor of the event and there were a few other sponsors. Um, but I, I want that to be transparent going forward because we never want to come to this event. Like, Ooh, how can we market this and now be rich and now have quit our jobs? It, like, that's not where this is going. We're not planning to, we, we aren't quitting our day jobs. We're using our day jobs to pay the bills for events like this. But, um... Luckily, I have a job that I have the flexibility where I can take a couple days of vacation so that I can, you know, set aside time during that weekend and then go on back to my job, which was really hard to show up on Tuesday. But I just want to be clear because as we're marketing it, I don't want people to think like. What, oh, they want to sell the content. now. No, we're we're just trying to honor the work and the value that the folks that were collaborators brought to the table by um, putting that behind a paywall and still making sure that we can continue to finish funding this event and fund future events. Um, so I, I just wanted to mention that.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that that's a really important piece to mention. And also that we have always, you know, this podcast um has always been a like a a hobby that's cost money
0: yeah. <laughs> versus make
2: money. <laughs> um but but also we've always wanted to make it clear that if money was a barrier, we want to figure out how we can get access to community. We don't want to hold community behind A paywall right and so I think that we have always said that and and if people even going into this event you know Megan had had said several times across social media like if if money really is a barrier for getting access to community or content like let us know and we'll make sure that you can get access to community and content but back to that aspect of breaking down hierarchy we as we can pay for these things we're paying in to create sustainable community and space right, right. all of, all of i i look at everyone who bought a ticket or bought a virtual ticket as being a part of producing this event right they are the ones along with Megan, yourself, and myself and others who put up funds to make this event happen, y'all created this space. And so a huge thank you to everyone who showed up and helped us co-produce this event and everyone who might show up to buy the on-demand copies of the panels, because you are going to be helping to lay the foundation for what we want to do in Atlanta, which I'm just really excited about having this event in a part of the country that is so central to so many other parts that people can get to a little bit easier. P&W mm-hmm. is beautiful. It was super fun to be there. Um, and we had a ton of people from Northern California and Oregon and Washington and a few people from, you know, New Jersey and Philly and Indianapolis and, uh, and or Atlanta, Indiana and yeah. some other places. But, but by and large, most of our live attendees came from the PNW. I think being Atlanta, um, we're going to see an ability for a lot more people to come in person because of just how the centrality of that location.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I will also say, Um, I have so many thoughts because Atlanta is more diverse. It's a direct flight for a lot of people. It's the hub of Delta. So people can come in a little bit cheaper. Lots of airlines flying in and out of Atlanta. So it's, you know, good competitive prices. But one other thing I do want to say about the cost of the event afterwards I had at least three people talk to me about sponsoring Next Year's to the degree that Next Year's might be already paid for. And I just I, I was telling somebody at lunch on that last day that I kind of felt like the girl from Blue Crush. Have you seen Blue Crush? Did you hear me say this?
2: Mm-hmm. I did hear you say this. I love this analogy. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I
1: had just watched it last week with my 11 year old. And um, so I felt like at the end, I'm going to spoil it, but it's a movie from like the 90s. Spoiler alert. uh, Yeah. Spoiler (laughs) alert. But um, it's, you know, Blue Crush, it's about a surfer, it's a surfer movie, and she's trying to ride this big wave, and at the very end, she rides the big wave, and um, all of a sudden she hits, she doesn't even win, but she gets all of these sponsorship deals, and then now she can fund her surfing, and I'm like, oh, this is just like what happened. I got people reaching out, saying they want to sponsor the event, um, and that was a much better experience than having watched um, the Firefest documentary the week before. (laughs) Can we talk about that for a second?
2: I cannot believe that you watched that the week before hosting an event. What terrible timing.
1: I didn't even think about it. I was like, I had just, I like documentary style entertainment. And so I'm like, oh, I've been wanting to watch this. And I'm halfway through and I'm texting you like, oh my God. We are happy to vet this weekend, And like, you're texting me like, don't worry, we're not in an uninhabited island in the Bahamas. We're, we're going to be okay. People are going to be able to eat their own food and, and show up like and have a place. It's like watching the
2: Titanic before you go on your first cruise. Yes. It's like It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing?
1: I was afraid to tweet that out that I had watched because I'm like... What if now people get that in their heads that we're going to be like fire festival and we're just not going we're get, i I mean they canceled the festival like what the as soon as people got there the next day they're like the oh, day sorry,
2: after it home. was supposed to start
1: <laughs> Yes <laughs> Cuz I do think but I I okay along those lines I think there were people that were like what is this and can can y'all pull it off you know like this it is hard and they're there were emotions. There were people that, hmm, how do I say this? There were, um, there were just opinions about it, you know, that I was trying to say, you know what, we're just trying, we're just trying to pull some people together and put on an event. And, and if you want to come, we'd love to see you there. And if you don't want to come, it's okay. You don't have to come. And, and And I just, that, I think I want, I was trying to navigate that and navigate that with, you know, just everybody has agency, but I also think people were kind of like, what is this content warning event and um, will it be any good? And I think that's absolutely fair because anytime you're paying money to attend an event, absolutely be skeptical and, and try to understand, you know, what is this and will it be good? Like that's, those are fair questions, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like we all come from places where where we've seen the grift. We all come from places where we've seen uh, you know, things sold and money collected for things that we're like, nah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and it and and it's not uncommon unfortunately for even people to exit evangelicalism or church or whatever and then move into some other grift i'm gonna i'm gonna talk shit for a second and so here we go uh you know because i saw it. it i saw it on 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 mason Meninga's uh twitter the other day he had a screenshot from like donald donald miller is <laughs> like selling coaching on how to like advertise your business or whatever i don't know exactly what it is but it it feels very it feels very like i don't know pay ten thousand dollars for my extra close the deal ABC's a closing course and it's like you're the guy who wrote you know the the, jazz. Yeah. The, the little blue book that made all our pastors think that we were turning into postmodern Bush hating Democrats, you know, like you were this like rebel for so many of us. And now you're slinging coaching courses on, you know,
1: (laughs) how to sell coaching courses. Twitter.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Coaching on how to coach the coaches, uh, you know, in nine easy steps, only $900. Um, it's not uncommon for people to get out of pastoring and get into some sort of you know, salesy thing, whether there's value in it or not. I don't know. I'm not going to make that determination, but it can be a trigger when people are like, Oh man, like what, where's, where's this money going? Who is organizing this thing? Is it going to be something that's worthwhile? Um, and so I think that that skepticism is like somewhat healthy. Um, but hopefully I'm, I'm really hopeful that, this event for those who attended, for those who watched online, for those who just kind of like uh, observed from the social media stands as we, as we did this little thing in Portland, I hope that, that it was clear that something really um, beautiful and profound and, and valuable happened and that everything that we worked to make, uh, happened and it was all like we left it all on the the field for lack of a better <laughs> analogy uh,
1: left it all in the field that's funny I <laughs> yeah and I I think I, I that's kind of why I wanted to emphasize that we're not doing this for a living because when we make decisions about this event it's not driven by how can we generate more income or how can we make this huge or how can we, you know, have a salary from this? It is how can we build community and how can we get the right voices at the table to, to help facilitate that community? And I think there's a difference there. And I've really questioned, I it's been messy and I, I haven't really figured out how to address it, but I've questioned whether it's even ethical to make a living in this space. And I, I don't want to throw that out. I mean, I'm I'm having this now, but I think it's it's more of a question that belongs in dialogue than it belongs in like a hot take of a tweet, because we do have friends that are creators, and I'm not trying to cancel anyone or I'm not trying to call anyone out, but I am just saying,
2: nope, you're canceled. If you do this for a living, get a real job. You heard it here. (laughs) Megan thinks you should get a real job. I'm just kidding. That's that's gonna be the soundbite for this episode.
1: No. But I do think there's something to be said about like I, I mean I was I, I was talking to David Morris who is the the brain behind Lake Drive Books and he's an agent and he was a sponsor for the event and he's a publisher and and I you know I I've had some book ideas and things like that but at the end of the day my master's degree is in education. It's not, you know, and in, in my job, my day job is is in the education world. I was a teacher and And that's where my expertise is. And I can write a memoir and I can write, you know, but when it comes to some of these issues that we're talking about, I've learned a lot. But it's not my area of expertise and that's why I want to pull in experts, you know. And so – and then when it comes to making a living as a, I don't know, coach or facilitator or whatever, it's like that's – I I think – you know, I can do this on this side, but I can't see myself. And maybe this is just maybe I shouldn't be prescriptive. Maybe I should just think about it for myself because I can't see myself trying to move into a space where this is just how I make a living. Because I also think the event would require too too much cost for us to that that would that would take too much. And we would have to sacrifice the vibe, which is what everybody wanted to keep. Right.
2: Yeah. Because what makes what makes it what it is, is that it is this collective act, right? It is this mm-hmm. collective creation that a bunch of people are doing and that 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 synergy of everyone working together to create this space is what creates many of those vibes. But I mean, I was having this conversation with Ashley um unashamedly Ashley on Instagram. Uh she's been on the show, she's great. And we were both saying very similar things. She was like, "I don't I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm sustaining my livelihood on creating content because then if I need to pause on creating content because I'm just not well or I slipped up or I made a mistake and I need to take time or I need to take space, I there's no structure of support for me. And I'm just going to continue to make content. I'm just going to continue to churn out what I need to, to make a living. And I'm not going to be able to stop and pause and, and take care of myself and make sure that harm doesn't continue to happen. And I think we've seen that in cases where creators don't have a way when they're asked to like, hey, pause for a second and think about what's happening because we're people, we're, we're just human beings, right? And if, and if I am getting into a place of unhealth and I cause some harm, you, Megan, can go, Cortland, sit down for a second. You're harming people. We love you. We care about you. We need you to like not be on the mic for a minute because the community matters and you matter and we need you to not be doing this. I can do that and I can still feed my family.
1: I have a couple of things about this. Yes. Okay. First thing is lighthearted because when you're talking about the collective synergy, I was like, did we just create the purity culture version of Burning Man? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the other thing, or the post purity culture, I should say. The other thing that I'll say is I think that's what I'm wrestling with because I think when this is your livelihood. There's an element of PR in there that has to be part of it. And otherwise, you it's hard to accept authentic feedback. So if you fuck up and people are like, "Hey, like let's let's analyze this and and let's kind of give you this critical feedback, then if it's about your livelihood, you go into PR mode and like how can we patch it versus how can we actually listen, hear the feedback and do better and grow because we're not like we're, because the the root of what's driving us is building community versus building a livelihood. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it I just think it allows for us to care for each other better. I think I think in an ideal world, we would in a, in a, in a world that wasn't under the hellish burden of capitalism that, you know, ours oftentimes is, uh, people would be able to have their basic needs met and their healthcare and their housing. And, and, and we'd be able to say, Hey, take a minute. But, but because of the ferocious animal that is capitalism and consumption, when we commodify content and then we pedestal content creators and then we expect them not to fail and not to fuck up, and when they do, they're expected to essentially just power through in order to survive. We are setting it up for we're, we're really buying into a system that is going to continue to like have this cycle of harm. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk about it in church a lot of times with pastors and church planners and these, you know, staff members who are byproducts, right. Of this system, right. I was a church planner. I was an associate pastor. I was a youth pastor who was like, I can't, Uh, go against this whole system whether it be my denomination or my mega church or my my employer because that means I won't be able to feed my family right that means and so once you're in this system so we need to like we talked about this at the event a lot we need to reimagine new systems Mm -hmm. new ways of creating sustainable community that aren't how do we turn content warning into a corporate entity that can like, you know, have a staff?
0: Right. <laughs> right. right. Oh, it's like, man.
2: how do we do this in yeah. a different way? And you see people doing this in business with co-ops and with other models to go like, okay, how do we create community that is sustainable, that does cost money, that has to exist within capitalism, Right but mm-hmm. we could maybe go at this a different way that thinks about people first. Um, and so, anyway, we kind of got off topic, but
1: it's no, fun I, to I'm envision. No, I'm for it. I think that's part of this conversation for sure. I I, I definitely think it is. And um, I, I think that's part of that vibe that we had and that's far, part of that piece. And I also think the piece you said about having spaces where we're centering folks that you, because I, I I, think, and I had a conversation with somebody that was a participant today um, that was a cis-het white male that's like, I'm not used to being in spaces where I'm the minority, right? And also, I think there's a shift that happens when it, it kind of reminds me of, like, I think sometimes white, students in elementary school will be reading given books by white authors and perspectives that are white. And then um, I've heard of it happening where a book will be assigned in high school that's like a and hopefully this isn't happening anymore by the way I'm hoping there's diverse perspectives all through elementary school but I've seen this happen where a book will be assigned in high school that has a black perspective or a Mexican perspective and a white student will be like why would I read this book it doesn't really apply to me and it's like they've never realized that everyone else but them has had to look through the white perspective that has been given to them and try to figure out how that applies to them. And I think suddenly there's this flip that's happening where people are able to walk into a room and realize, holy shit, even though I'm not trans, I learned so much from a trans experience and from someone giving that perspective. And even though I'm not black, I learned so much from that black perspective. And I, and, and knowing that, you know, black people are not a monolith, that there's all different diverse perspectives, even among black people, but like just bringing in those voices and seeing like, I don't necessarily like there's perspectives that I need to branch out and listen to that I didn't intentionally seek out prior. And I had friends that were like, I'm fiercely monogamous. I I don't, I I don't really need, you know, know what that's going to bring up for me. And they were like, I learned so much about how I'm going to interact with my relationships outside of my marriage as far as friendships and pieces like that, that in that non-monogamy session. So I think people are starting to realize like, oh, this is the value of all of those perspectives.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you hit it right on and we've, we've kind of like gone over and over this piece, but I, it's, it's kind of cool to go over and over again because it's making it more palatable in my mind as we process that intentionally approaching this from a position of not just not just uh, uh, pushing back against the normative, but actually trying to like create something that, completely kind of replaces the normative, I guess. You know, it's like, we're not gonna just go like, okay, we know straight is the normal, but here's a queer experience. It's kind of like, no, no, we're gonna start with the queer experience, and then maybe we'll contrast it with the straight experience, but it doesn't always have to be framed that way. The trans Mm -hmm. experience doesn't always have to be framed in-
1: Outside a typical experience, yes. In
2: conjunction with, or in contrast to a cis experience it yes. can just exist as its own thing. The right. the black experience doesn't have to always be given next to or in contrast to the white experience. We we don't have to hold and talk about and and think about and observe queerness always in contrast with heteronormativity. Sometimes we can start with queerness and if we get to heteronormativity maybe that will will contrast it, but it doesn't have to be spoken about in context with that Yes. right and I think that that is a really different approach and a new imaginative way to think about some of these topics especially in a culture that likes to like frame everything around a very normative lens how do we mm-hmm. make queerness look as much like heterosexuals as possible right
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah I don't know. I mean, I'll be processing for we, – we we're going to meet with our collaborators on Monday and, and have a little debrief. I'll be processing for a while. I don't know that I have much more to say, just that I was I, – I, well, okay, I have one more thing. Can I say one more thing? Absolutely, you can. A random thought that I had this weekend was um, – I don't know. I, th- I thought about my parents and just like I wish they could look at that. And be proud because I'm really fucking proud of that work and what happened that weekend. And and I'm going to give them credit because I'm not – this isn't about demonizing my parents. My parents are great, right? But I've put a lot of distance between what I share with them. And so I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that I've even given them an opportunity to let them in, to, to allow them the opportunity to be proud. But I think about this work that we're doing and that all us as, as folks that are kind of – coming out and shifting and and, um healing and all of these things and it's like how could evangelicals or whatever that person relationship that my parents represent to you like how could how could they not look at what we're doing and be super fucking proud because we're building community and we're loving people fiercely you know
2: yeah like I like I get that and also I'm very proud of you
1: Oh. I'm proud like, of all
2: of us. I'm very honored to be a part of this thing with so many incredible people. And I feel likewise. Like I like I don't I don't know. It's hard not being able to share this part of ourselves with people who once meant the world to us, but it makes me even more grateful for the people who are here with me now, and who get to see me for me, and love and value, and tell me how much I mean to them. Um, it makes all of that mean even more.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I will. I just we gave a couple shout outs at the event to some people that were doing some stuff behind the scenes, but I just want to give another shout out to to Justin Gentry, who has an ability to take the anxiety in my brain and organize it into an Excel spreadsheet with very like clear tasks that can be checked off. And, um, I don't know if we would have pulled the, the <laughs> this event off without his organization and kind of project management skills. So I just want to add that on here too. So he
2: was absolutely incredible. I told so many people, and this is no, um, this is no no shade against Tori because I feel so I'm very kindred with Tori but I was like when when we talk about this being brought to you by thereafter podcast and go home bible you're drunk let's be clear that that's the majority Megan from thereafter podcast and Justin from <laughs> go home bible you're drunk with a little flair from Cortland and Tori <laughs> <love> uh, that. <laughs> because that's that's definitely how I felt you guys Carried so much of the on the ground logistics for making this happen. And it never would have happened without either one of you. And I'm I'm so grateful for both of you.
1: Yeah, well, with that all said, I think we can we can bring this conversation to a close and just be excited. We have we have some guest interviews in the queue that we'll be releasing that we're so excited about too, but um we wanted to get this out because we know a lot of folks are still kind of wandering around with emotions about this weekend. So um, if if you haven't joined the Thereafter Discord, any mem- participants, collaborators can jump in there. It's also part of our Patreon. If, Patre- if if you have a financial barrier to Patreon, we'll let you in too. So let's be honest. So yeah. you can check that out at patreon.com slash thereafter.
2: Pie. Thereafter pod.
1: Thereafter pod.
2: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um well yeah we'll spare you the 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 intricacies of where to find us if if you've gotten to this point you don't know where to find us just go to the show notes it's in there uh and we'll be back next week with another episode Uh, until then